Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. Someone comes to Jesus and asks him this question. He asks, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now, if you know this passage, uh, you know from the context, this is a trick. It's meant to trip Jesus up. It's meant to trap him. But you know what? I, for one, am really happy. (laughs) Uh, I don't know how how to put this, really. But this person tried to trick Jesus in this way because it's wonderful that this question and the answer to it gets recorded for us uh, in the Bible. You see, Jesus was a a huge fan uh, of the law of Moses. Uh, Some people separate out the law of the Old Testament and the New Testament. But no, he was a huge fan of the law of Moses. And uh, Jesus presented his teaching as a continuation of the law of Moses. And therefore, this question is basically asking Jesus, what is the most important teaching of all of your teachings? Um, And so for any disciples of Jesus, I think this is an all ears moment right now. You're like, wow, you're hanging on the edge of your seat. What is he going to say? And um, we, we started looking at this question, what is the disciple, uh, last week. And uh, we, we, uh, I think we came to the conclusion, well, I did and told you and people seem to agree, <laughs> I think, um, that a disciple is someone who doesn't just hear the words of Jesus, but puts them into practice. And um, you know what, that, that's challenging for a whole number of reasons. And last week we looked at some of the ways in which that was a, a, a challenge. It involves counting the, the cost uh, in many ways. But another thing is that when we say putting into practice Jesus' teachings, there are quite a lot of teachings of Jesus in the Bible. I don't know if you ever spotted this. Oh, and particularly if he's like endorsing all the Old Testament as well, sometimes you are left with your head spinning a bit and saying, well, how do I put all these together? Where should I focus in all of this sort of stuff? And so if Jesus could distill it for us, at the very least to give us some priorities, that would be helpful in our discipleship. What do you reckon? Hmm, hmm. You're not completely convinced, but I think I'll, I'll win you around. That's all right. So this is what Jesus answered. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. I, th- I think for many of us, this would be really familiar stuff. We, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you would know this passage. This is a famous, uh, famous thing that Jesus says. But I think it's, uh, it's startling in many ways. And one is a subtle way, a really subtle way, in that when you think often of Jesus' teachings or the Bible's teachings or particularly maybe Old Testament teachings, the law of Moses, our mind often goes to thou shalt not, doesn't it? Especially if you've got an old version of the Bible. Thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt not do that. It's framed often as Jesus' teaching is stopping me from doing bad things. Um, Now, that is that is in there somewhere, but that is not how Jesus frames discipleship. Jesus frames discipleship far more positively, and actually he frames it in terms of the virtue or way of life that is universally agreed, even in our culture today, to be the most uh, most uh, wonderful and healthy way to live that there is, and that is uh, a way of love. It's to, um, to love others, and disciples of Jesus, according to this passage, should be known by that one word, by love. Now, love 
is one of those words that is used so much that it becomes easily confused. So we do just need to think for a second, what does he mean here? And uh, I, I think that's just this language, isn't it? There's a, there's a sense, uh, different senses of, of the word love, so it could mean different things. But I think what Jesus is, is saying here, I'll sum it up in this sort of way. Um, I think love in this passage is decentering myself for the good of another. I experience life with me at the center, and I'm assuming that you would experience life in a very similar way, and you could say that's kind of part of the, the fall, and, and it's a bad thing, but actually it's an incredibly natural thing from the way the world is designed. I mean, I would uh, only have first-hand experience of one person's life, and that's my own. I only first-hand experience pain of one person, and that's me. I only first-hand experience pleasure of one person, and that's me. So it is incredibly natural for me to put myself at the center and prioritize myself in my day-to-day decisions. Well, what's love then? Well, love is to kick against that natural tendency and push down this desire for me to serve myself primarily, but instead look to put someone else first instead, the other, decentering myself for the good of the other. And Jesus was really clear. This here is the mark of his disciples. Yes, there are some things they don't do, but that's not how they're known. They're not known as those people who don't do loads of stuff. They're known as those who love. And you might easily uh, apply this, well, most easily apply this to other, loving other people, which as you would have seen is in the passage. Next week, we're going to talk about that. Today, we're going to look at the first one, which is potentially a little bit trickier. And it's this idea of loving God. I just want to ask the question to us, what does it mean to love God? And helpfully, Matthew 26, it's like God knows our deepest needs, even for preachers. He knows we need three points. So what he does in Matthew 26, we love God with our heart, our soul, and our mind. Thank you, Jesus. Um, So I'm just going to look at those three. First question then, what does it mean, or how do we love God with all our hearts? Now, our heart is obviously the part of us that pumps blood around our body. It's not particularly pleasant. I mean, looking at some docs here, I don't know if Johnny's ever seen a human heart removed from the body. Have you, Johnny? I don't know. No? No? Okay. Doctors nowadays, it's not the same as in the old days. I thought that's all you did. Just a beating heart in your hand. Let's poke that. Um, um, But they're not very pleasant looking. But obviously the heart would have another meaning for us. And and it would have had a similar meaning probably uh, for Jesus and his his hearers the first time they heard this as well. In that the heart is seen as the seat of our emotions uh, and our feelings. And so when it says here that we should love God with all our hearts, it's saying very clearly that loving God is not just doing loving things. It involves experiencing loving feelings towards God too. Psalm 37 verse 4 says this, it says, delight in the Lord. It's not just doing, that's feeling. Philippians 4 verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. We find joy in God. He makes us happy when we think about him. Lovers of God in the Bible, they don't just obey God, don't just obey God. They do obey God. We'll come back to that in, in a few minutes, definitely. But they don't just obey him. They obey him because they delight in him. They take joy in him. God is their treasure, not just their boss. You get that impression as you read the Bible of these lovers of God and lovers of God through history. That might sound great, but often that can leave us feeling really, really helpless, I think. 
particularly if you're not feeling particularly delighting in God here this morning. Yeah? I mean, you might say, well, that's, that's fine. I, I'd like to do that. But this is to do with feelings here. And we just can't control our feelings. We can't switch those things on and off. I mean, if, if God tells us to do something that involves clearly our actions or our speech, we might not want to do it, but we know how to do it. So if the Bible says, you read the Bible and it says, uh, don't lie, or it says, give, give your money to the poor, you might think, well, it's tricky. If for some reason there's, in this situation, I'd prefer to go against that. But you would know what to do if you wanted to do those things. It's not the same with delight in the Lord. That's, that's kind of different. You can hear that and just be left cold and think, well, I can't engineer that feeling. If I feel cold towards God, I can't just delight and rejoice in him. Just like, thank you, Johnny. Really helpful. I now delight in the Lord because I've made a decision. It doesn't kind of work like that. I think there would be times for every Christian where we would ask that sort of question. And some of you may well, that might be more live to you today than it would be at other points. But at different points, I think we always go through ebbs and flows in our relationships with God. And so if you, that objection is something you'd, you'd throw out today, I kind of agree with you in, to a degree, but I do kind of disagree as well. I would kind of push back a little. I kind of disagree with that kind of objection because actually there are things... Uh, sorry, I'm on to my disagree. I almost jumped out by agree. I want to empathize here. I want to reach out to you. I agree because our hearts are, to many degrees, in God's hands. I mean, that's how it is. The ball is in his court, to a degree, on the state of our hearts. Proverbs 21, verse 1 says, The king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. It's like a stream of water, and God can just move that this way or this way. And that goes for the king. I think that goes for all of us as well. The Bible paints a picture of all of our hearts, naturally speaking, as being hearts of stone towards him. Cold and unaffected and even hostile, actually, towards God. And it tells us that that's not how our hearts should be. Our hearts should be hearts of flesh towards him. Hearts that are responsive. Hearts that are affectionate. Hearts that delight in their creator. Actually, to move from one to the other... Well, God needs to do that. He, he needs to do a work to make that happen. And he does that through his Holy Spirit. So in a sense, you, you're right, I think, if you think the ball's in God's court on this whole changing my heart and feelings sort of thing. I, to a degree, that's correct. But while I think that's true, I do also kind of disagree as well. Because there are definitely things that we can do to work with God as he changes our hearts and stokes our feelings of delight and joy towards him. So, for example, very simply, when I recognize my heart is growing cold to God, I can say, yeah, well, God, you need to do something here. But it doesn't mean I just fatalistically wait for God to just blow in at some point or not blow in. No, God's given us the gift of speaking to him, as we've done this morning. And for prayer, you might think of prayer in terms of, God, pray for this person and this person, pray for my day and this, these things. Give us today our daily bread. We pray that sort of stuff. But I think one of the most profound prayers can be, God, grab hold of my heart today. I pray it like preemptively as well each day. God, don't let my heart go cold today. We recognize this ball's in his court, but we want him to work. We want him to act in a certain direction. He asks us to do that. If I notice my heart going cold, I, I want to pray. I want to give extra time to pray, extra time even to fast to say, this is a big deal to me, Lord. I know that without you, I'm stuck here, but I'm not without you. Please come and work on, on these things. 
But even more than that, though, I think, um, we often think, uh, I think we think unhealthfully about how feelings and actions go within love. And often we can think that it's just simply a very linear thing, that, that we first of all feel something in love, and then that leads into loving action. So you could think it's kind of, I'm so in love with this person that I will make sacrifices for you, my darling. And those sacrifices won't even feel like sacrifices because of my, my attitude of love. And, ah, oh, isn't that sweet? And wouldn't that be lovely if that's how everything always worked? Um, but you know what? If that's the only way you think, see things working, uh, I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to make a, a, a romantic relationship work for very long, I would imagine, or any sort of relationship in the, just with people. Because often... <laughs> as I'm sure we would all know, in a relationship, you act out of love often when you don't feel like it. And what's funny thing is that often as you do that, feeling, loving action fuels loving feelings as well. And that is definitely the same is true in our love for God. I think it works much more as a circle. So let's get a couple of things clear, you know. We are not called as Christians, to a life sentence of dutiful, miserable obedience. <laughs> You'll probably be glad to hear that. I will be a good Christian, Lord, because it's the right thing to do. And I'll simply pull my socks and get on with it, but I know it's going to be incredibly boring for the rest of my life. That's not the picture of the Christian life that we see in the Bible at all. However, at the same time, another thing that's true is we're not called to only obey God when we feel an overwhelming sense of delight and joy in him. That's not true either. Who's kind of in, in the word of disciple, I think? A, a disciple is called to a life of discipline. Very similar words from the same roots. And sometimes that does involve obeying God, even when we don't feel like it. But uh, my experience, and I know the experience of many others would be, often as you do that, it refires our feelings of love for God too. So let's move then. I think it's a good point to move from heart then to action. Let's go to the next uh, way we love God. How do we love God then with our souls? Now, you might think, uh, how does that have to do anything with action? But I think we've got to understand the word soul. I'm not going to spend ages on this, but just to kind of uh, to show how these things link together. We, we often think of the soul as this kind of part of us, an immaterial bit that makes us who we are, but it's just one bit of many bits. Um, but that's not actually how ancient uh, thinkers thought about the soul. The soul was largely seen as being all that we are. The soul is the fullest expression of yourself, your mind, your heart, your spirit. And most important, well, not most importantly of those, but the thing we often forget is your body as well. Now, Luke's gospel helps us hugely on this by adding another thing that we're meant to um, love God with on top of the three that we've had. But he didn't get the memo about the three-point the three point sermon, so we're sticking to Matthew today. Okay? And he says, love God with your heart, soul, mind. Anyone to the, to the floor? What's the fourth? I heard it. Strength. I heard it from two. The strength with your strength as well. And I think this really goes with the soul idea. How do we love God with all we are, with our souls? Well, it means with our strength, practically, physically doing something. Love for God cannot stay in our mind and in our heart. It just can't. It must lead to action. Loving God shouldn't just involve doing, but it must involve doing somewhere. It is not simply an emotional state or an intellectual exercise. People who love God can look at their lives and say, hey, look, my life is different. I act differently because of my love for God. In fact, maybe a better 
a barometer might be. Other people can look at you and say, that person is living differently because of their love for God. But how do we do this? How do we act this out? How do we live out our love for God? Well, there'll obviously be loads and loads of ways. And I, I pray that God's Spirit would, would show you lots of things that would be unique to your situation and who you are probably. But I just want to focus on two things that I think all Christians should always think about as regards uh, how we express our love for God. And the first one of those would we be that we love God by putting aside time to spend with him. We love God by putting aside time to spend with him. I don't think this is a particular revelation because this is a way that we show love in all sorts of different ways. So, so someone, for example, might call up their mum one evening to find out how she's doing. Someone might book a holiday with a friend who they haven't seen for ages to spend some good time together. Someone might prioritize a time every week to spend with their spouse or their partner. Someone might have a date night with their, one of their kids. All of those things are showing love by giving time to people. And they're all expressions of, of love in that way. And I think loving God is just the same. It, it must involve spending time with him. But the thing is, you say, well, it's kind of like spending time. Relationship with God is kind of like relationship with people, isn't it? And we all know that, I, I suppose. Um, but also, it's, it's probably good to be honest here, it's kind of different too, isn't it? Let's face it. You can't see God. I have no other invisible friends that, that I'm willing to tell you about today. <laughs> um, you can't play, God doesn't play badminton. Like, he, he doesn't, as far as I'm aware, go to the cinema. You can't go, hey, God, let's, I'll meet you at 7.30. I mean, he kind of is there everywhere. We get into a theological discussion about whether God plays badminton, if you want. But it's just not the same, okay? Um, so how do we spend time with God then? How does this work? And maybe one question lots of people ask is, how much time should we spend with God? How much does he ask of us here? What shows love? Is it 10 minutes enough? Is it 20? Half an hour? Now, there is no timetable given in the Bible. There's no diagrams drawn on this. this is, there's no, it, God recognizes a relationship is, is, is relational, is, is flexible and fluid like that. Um, so I'm not telling you something that the Bible commands all of us on this. I just want to share a couple of things that I've, I find helpful. I've found helpful over the years in this stuff, and I suppose where I'm at at the moment, uh, and hopefully those things will resonate with, uh, with at least some of you as well. I've got two things uh, when I'm thinking of questions like this, and the first would be the goal. I have in my mind a goal for what spending time with God ideally looks like, where I'm heading, my trajectory of like, yes, that's where I want to be. And uh, I take it from Psalm 16, verse 8, uh, and David writes this, I have set the Lord always before me. How much time should we spend with God? See it here. I have set the Lord always before me. For me, that's my goal. I want to live my whole life with God. Not 10 minutes here or five minutes here. No, the whole thing. Now, I'm just really clear on this. I don't mean I want to get to a point where uh, I'm on my knees all day in my study praying, or I'm always reading my Bible, and like, I don't know, one of the kids is knocking on the door, can it help me with my homework? No, I am always praying now, guys. Apologies for that. No, I'm not, I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is I want to live every moment aware of God's presence. So I'll be doing other things. I'll be doing lots of other things, maybe. But I, I, to set the Lord always before me means in a heartbeat, I can just, just say quickly, Jesus, what should I do now? And it's not like a grating gear change. You go, Jesus, Jesus, I remember him. I thought about him at least a week ago. No, it's like, Jesus, what should I do now? Back to the thing. 
You just know you're just doing the, the thing that you're doing, and suddenly you just, you're open to God's leading and his, his help and him speaking to you. I think that's the goal that the Bible sets out for us, and that's a place where I'd love to be. I'm not saying I am there. I'm saying that's where I'm, I'm heading. I, I would say as well, I, I don't think this is beyond the realms of possibility. I would know some days where I say, yeah, you know what? I think I've set the Lord before me all day today. I think I was, we, we were there. And I know other days where I haven't. But that's where I want to be. I've got a goal. And so the question for me then is, how do I get to that place? And to do that for me, the thing I find really helpful is I ring fence daily time to spend with God to make that a reality. For me, it's not enough just to kind of clock that at some points during the day, at little points, I just need to stop and say, God, I love you or things like that. I, I want to do that. But if it's just that, I kind of just start getting distracted. I just start forgetting. Now, to help me set the Lord always before me, it usually involves ensuring I have good time every day where I stop doing the other things I'm doing and give that time exclusively to God. Jesus talks about it, doesn't he? And when he talks on prayer, he says to, to, to go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. It means cutting off distractions. I'm only doing this now. It's all on you, Jesus. I'm not multitasking at this precise moment. And for me, that would involve uh, talking to God, combination of worship, giving thanks, asking for stuff. Uh, also, it would involve opening my ears to listen to God as well. And mainly for me, that would be uh, through reading the Bible and digging deep into, into the Scriptures. Uh, as I say this, I know this is not new to you. <laughs> I would talk about this quite a lot, even from this very, I wouldn't say pulpit, it's not exactly, from this music stand of a, a microphone. It's not new to us, but I do know with all this stuff that this often strikes as a huge challenge. For every Christian, it's a challenge to spend time with God. And I think it's a challenge partly because it involves a time commitment, as we said. Let, let's put it bluntly. When you give time to one thing, it means taking time away from another thing that you want to do. So this is a challenge. It is. It, there's a cost. I think you see, uh, if you were here last week, you'll see this is not new. Discipleship involves cost. So just to be clear, it is a cost. I, I appreciate that. But that's not a reason not to do it. That's just being a disciple. Is it a cost? Oh, it's really hard to do this. Yeah, correct. That's why it's a cost. But it's discipleship, and it's really, really valuable and important to us if we want to set the Lord always before us. Well, I would want to say, as people set out for this, particularly the beginning of the year, I think we can get a bit carried away at this time of year. I'm going to nail this now. 2022 is the year for me. I just encourage people to be realistic. I don't think asking the question, how much time should I do to my give to my devotionals or that locked door time, whatever it would be. I don't think that's a particularly great question. I think the question is always, what's the next step from where you are now to where you can get to another point that's healthy? What's the next step that can help you to enjoy God each day and to set him before you more than you set him before you before? And I think that's the question I'd want to put. Now, if any of you need any help in this, Again, this is probably not new to you, and I'll keep going on about it. We have something that can help for this. We put it on from 7.30 to 8 every morning, a group of between 6 and 10 of us, usually most weekdays, uh, from different church central churches. We meet to read the Bible, and we meet to, to pray. And it's not a Bible study, and it's not a prayer meeting. We just meet to read the Bible and to pray. And people can contribute if they want to, or they can just read the Bible and pray. It's really quite simple. But the thing I, I've loved about it, and I continue to love about it, and I've never had a chance to do before, 
uh, thank God for Zoom, um, is that you get to do it with other people. Right? What you do on your own, you do with others, which means you can learn how to talk to a God who is invisible. You can learn how to read the Bible and actually get something out of it from some people who've been reading the Bible for a lot longer uh, than you have or than I have. If mornings don't work for you, when we uh, start up our discipleship groups in February, we're going to try again to get the, uh, the evening ones in motion again. So that means 7.30 to 8 in the evenings as well. On every weekday, uh, we will have the same thing. And you could come once a week. You come just a couple of times. You could go every time. Or if that doesn't serve you, you can do something completely different. But whoever you are and however you want to do it, please take seriously the call to make space and time for God each day to express your love for him. So that's the first one, loving God by by putting aside time for him. Second thing I think God would say to all of us as a way to express our love for him with our strength, with our souls, uh, is doing the things he tells us to do. Again, just a different way of saying what we said last week and what we said a number of times today. You can't miss this one out because this is the one Jesus centers on. And Jesus puts it far more bluntly than anyone else could. John 14, 15. If you love me, obey my commandments. Okay, well, that's pretty straightforward. Thanks, Jesus. (laughs) If you love me, obey my commandments. Jesus calls us into a relationship with him, as we would know. And one image he uses for that is he's called us his friends. Wow, amazing. And so as friends, we come to him, we think, we want to friend, spend time with you like we would with our friends. But we've got to be so aware, this relationship, these images Jesus uses, used for our relationship and for all these things, we're trying to understand something amazing. We can't boil all this stuff down just to human experience because God is God. And yes, Jesus calls us to a relationship where we can say, I love you, but he also calls us to a relationship where we say, Jesus is my Lord. I do the things he asked me to do. And those things are not intention. Those things are not meant to be separate. They are linked together. We express our love for him by obeying him. And you know what? This could involve a whole host of different things, of doing certain things. It could involve resisting temptation to do things that Jesus tells us not to do. It could involve uh, building into our lives the practices Jesus tells us to do, putting it more positively. It could involve uh, learning to listen to the prompts of the Holy Spirit in our day-to-day lives. It could involve training our consciences so we can hear God's voice more. It could involve digging deeper into the Bible so we know the things that God is actually asking us to do. It could involve all of those things. And guess what, guys? Just like spending time with God, it's really difficult to follow this one through. It's really hard. Sometimes it's hard to know what we're supposed to be doing and what Jesus is asking us to do. And it's even harder actually to do it. And this is why I think that one of the gifts God gives us in this whole area of how do we live out lives of obedience to Jesus is he gives us us. He gives us each other. We're not meant to do this stuff on our own or to try to do this stuff on our own. We're supposed to do it together. And at the start of this year, as I mentioned last week, we're not just talking about discipleship on Sunday mornings Actually, in early February, once these four sermons are done, we're going to be starting a new program of of groups, of discipleship groups, groups of us who can help each other with this. And they're going to be groups of three or four people. And essentially, the idea is to to, to look to support each other, to put Jesus' teachings into practice by loving God and loving others. Loving others we'll talk about next week. 
Hebrews 10.24 instructs us to think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And I think that is like the slogan over those groups you want to do. We want to motivate each other to acts of love and good works. I just think it's, it's so helpful to, to intentionally get alongside other people and say to them, other Christians, and say, look, I want to be honest with you about how difficult I find it to live out the command to follow Jesus' instructions. I want, to, I want to be honest with you, and I want you to be honest with me, and I want us to, by being open about these things, to motivate ourselves to live these lives of, of love and these good works that God gives us to do. And that, is, that will be the heart of, of these groups that we're starting. We want them really to be these little bands of brothers and bands of sisters uh, that, that kind of stand alongside each other to support each other in being disciples. That We're not planning to build up these little groups where one person is the leader and they are the, the spiritual guru for the rest of the group and everyone goes, what shall I do now? Tell me the direction I should go, I'm spiritual guru. No, that's not the nature of these groups. And you, you might think I'm joking. Sometimes groups do become like that a little bit. They're, they're called discipleship groups. That's just how they, they gravitate at times. We, we, we don't want that model. We want this model of, we're in this together. We all find this hard, but you know what? We want to love God. What has he done for us? We want to love him. We want to express that through what we are. Let's help each other to do that. And information about that will come through your community groups. Uh, so please keep an eye peeled in your community groups. And if you're not in a community group, yet another reason to join one. Beautiful. It all fits together lovely, doesn't it? Well, we've got one last thing, and we're going to finish with this. Uh, I say finish, we're going to just do a very short little exercise uh, that's connected with this last one as well. We, we love God with our hearts. We love God with our soul and our strength. Uh, we also love God with our minds. So how do we do that? How do we love God with our minds? Um, well, I think the first two, we, we, whether we do them or not, we know about those. Feeling, action, yeah, we know that. But this one, I think, uh, we miss. And I'll be honest, in a different context, I came a cropper a bit of this. Uh, at Christmas, and as I woke on on Christmas morning, it's always a, it's I always like to be vulnerable on, on these sort of things. And with Gemma sitting right there, I, I should be. Uh, I'll try not to look at her while I, I try this one. My heart, as I woke on Christmas morning, it was full of love for my wife. It really was, Gemma. It was definitely. Um, and uh, genuinely, I felt nothing but good feelings towards her. And actually, at that point, I was willing, I think, to uh, make sacrifices for her in all sorts of ways. I would even have made you a cup of tea on Christmas morning if your, if your mum hadn't been sorting us out with breakfast, which is nice. Um, I was willing for all those things, but as she opened her presents on Christmas morning, I realised that my love had been lacking in at least one way. <laughs> I had not put enough thought into Gemma's presents this year. I will admit it, okay? Now, just to be clear, they were not the worst presents in the whole world, okay? It was all right, but I was fully aware they weren't a great expression of my love because I simply hadn't engaged my mind enough in the preceding weeks and months. Um, I've learned that you do have to do it for months, actually, these sort of things, um, that, to, to show that. Um, I think, and again, I, I'm, I'm not great at this, to, to be fair, and you can get the expose later if you want to. Um, to get a decent present for someone, apparently you do have to plan I mean, who would have thought? I mean, you just can't just Christmas Eve, prime. I mean, come on. Um, no, that doesn't necessarily work. You have to plan. You've got to think it through. It involves your wallet and your affection, but it also involves ingenuity, creativity, thinking, your mind. I don't think I did that enough uh, at Christmas for Gemma. So I've got a couple of weeks. It's her birthday, and I'd better pull my finger out. <laughs> I think it was a message that was communicated somehow. Um, anyway, um, now, <laughs> I think our love for God can be similar. We just don't engage our brains enough into all of this. 
Loving God with our mind involves making priority decisions and thinking through how we're going to live this out in the stresses and strains of our day-to-day life. It involves setting goals. It involves helpful methods. It involves strategizing even how we put this stuff into practice. And there are many people who would have goals for the year. They say, oh, I've got this goal uh, in my career. Some people would have goals for their house. I want this room done like this and this done like this, and then I'm going to have uh, this car next year. Do you set goals for your walk with God? Don't say, that's a bit weird. No, that's what love is. We, we plan with our minds. We think this stuff through. I wonder for many of us whether we, yeah, we feel affection for God. Yes, we are prepared to make sacrifices, but so often we just don't think it through and we just get distracted by the things that happen. And then we, wake, we work out like me on Christmas morning. Oh, should I, I could have done more. It, was, it didn't move from the realm of intentions into the realm of action because it wasn't heart and it wasn't soul. It was actually more about our minds. Loving God involves our hearts, our feelings. It involves our soul and our strength, our actions. It also involves our minds, our thinking, and our planning. So I'm going to give two minutes for this. And I'm going to pray in a second but I want you to use your minds. And please do it a little bit more than two minutes after. But I've got four questions that will appear up here. And if you've got a pen and some paper, feel free to get them out. If you've got a phone, get your notes page open. Uh, if you've just got a great memory, use that, okay? But as we close this, this message, I just want to encourage you, think. How can you plan? What the stuff from this message that comes from this that you can plan? Think, okay, I would like to do that, and this is how this is going to work in my actual life.